I'm Allegra Levy, and you're listening to the Scout Archives, the place where I have the pleasure of introducing you to some of the most influential young people I know. For more information on today's interview, head to www.thescoutarchives.com. There you can find photo shoots with our guests, pieces of work they've shared with us, and many other surprises. See you there. If you met us today, you would never think that Anna Giroux and I were once rivals, fighting for the attention of a girl in our class. I almost can't believe that I've only been friends with Anna since sophomore year of high school, considering I feel like she's my sister. She's not only one of the funniest, most intelligent, and thoughtful people I know, but her devotion to the rigorous sport of track has inspired me in my own life to work just as hard at the things I want. I'm in constant awe of her. She's a member of Princeton University's elite track team, has a 207 personal record for the 800 event, is a talented writer and photographer, and loving friend and girlfriend. I can't wait to introduce you all to her as she is my first guest on the Scout Archives. So pull up a chair and listen in as Anna and I discuss her quiet nature, her love for Zora Neale Hurston, and how she finds peace in balancing the goal-oriented lifestyle of an athlete and the fluid, creative nature of an artist. Okay. Hi. I'm here with Anna Giroux, star extraordinaire and best friend. (laughs) We are, where are we? East Meadow of Central Park. Of Central Park, eating some Harvest Snaps, (laughs) Snappy Crisps. It's about, um... What time is it? It's 8.30 on the dot, p.m., a slick <laughs> summer night. <laughs> um, so, Anna, how are you today? <laughs> I'm great now that you're back. Yes, I've been away for a month. And now we're, <laughs> and now we're here, and it's so exciting. You're my first guest. I'm so excited to have you. Love that. <laughs> um, so, I tried to list Anna's accomplishments. And I was wrong about all of them, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to list them now. Maybe we'll talk about them later. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to dive right in. Um, okay, so when I first met you, you were pretty shy. Were you a shy kid always? In lower um, school, you were mostly In lower shy. school, I was really, I would say I was really shy um, until about age, like, 12, 13. Um, but I think I was... I think shyness and being timid are easily confused, and I would say I, I was never timid. I was always quiet, um, and I feel like in recent years there's been more that sort of come out in science and people studies that like quietness is something very different. Like introversion is very different from timidity. I don't know if that's a word. Okay. So, wait, so you said that changed when you were 13. Why did that change when you were 13? I don't know. I think I just sort of grew into my own thoughts, which I always had, but didn't really feel the need or didn't, maybe didn't feel as, you know, comfortable asserting them. Um, Yeah. Do you think that you're like, that you came out of your shell at all because you were in, you were playing sports a lot or like, oh wait, when did you start running? When was like the first... Um, well, I always ran, I actually ran before I walked, like, if you're talking technically. Oh, wow, yeah, tell me that story, honey. (laughs) But, like, running 
for a team, I started in, yeah, about that age, actually. So do you think that that had something to do with the fact that you were on a team and you had to be an individual player as well as a team player? And that yeah, led you probably. to be a, come out of your shell? Probably. And I think um, I was also playing soccer at the time, and I was sort of coming into my own as a soccer player as well, and so, like... I think everyone sort of draws confidence from parts of their life where they have been given positive affirmation in some way. So if you are confident in yourself and you know that you're, you know, confident, really confident in one area, it's sort of easier to be, um, have more confidence in yourself in other areas. So when did you decide that running was something that you wanted to pursue and you kind of like put soccer to rest and you were like, I think that running is like my thing? In ninth grade? Um, <clears throat> at the beginning of high school, it was when soccer got really serious because, um, for some reason, it's a sport that where um, college recruiting starts really early. So that was beginning when when my team was in. We were all in ninth grade, um, and my coach. We had a new coach that year, and he was he got super serious, and he was sort of of the um, eat, sleep, breathe soccer school. Um, and didn't want me to do both, and so I think having coming face to face with having to pick one of them, um, which I hadn't ever had to do before, um, just made it very clear in my head. Was there something that drew you though to make the decision that was track as opposed to soccer? Yeah, I think there's something that's really powerful about track and running, specifically about the, for me at least, like the competitive side of running that is um, it's sort of indescribable it's just there's some element in that that all other sports lack Um, it's like this very pure human instinctive drive that fuels the sport Um, and then it's like a group of people who are putting so much time and dedication into this one thing this one like repetitive motion of using your body um, and feeling that into com- competition um, just like creates this whole like sphere of this whole side to oneself I think that is sort of impossible to get in a, at least in a team sport but I don't I haven't competed in other individual sports so I wouldn't really know but hmm. was there like a moment when you were like like when something happened or someone said something to you where you were like wait I'm really good at this or like an accomplishment that you had where you were like um, oh this is I I'm think good. probably freshman year um I would say all of my accomplishments in running really started after I stopped soccer and I got to put more of my brain power into track because I was less distracted and I fully chosen it um and so the end of my freshman year I ran a pretty fast time for someone that age in the 1500 um you know one eye league which wasn't really that big a feat but it felt good at the time it was, it was a big feat. um and yeah that was that was really cool I I went to states the state championships that year and was the only freshman um I I finished 12th I think but I was the only freshman in the top you know 30 or something like that so I don't know it was just a good it was a good couple months in the spring of freshman year that like made me feel really like confident in it and was that the, wait was that the race that you ran that you were in the paper for do you know that was eighth grade okay that's what grade. I thought 
That yeah. was like the moment when I was like, wait, Anna, like, <laughs> whoa, she's like a we runner. We weren't friends yet. We weren't friends that? yet. And you ran that one for Miss Dresner, right? Yeah. That's really nice of you. For context, Miss Dresner was our science teacher who passed away, and Anna ran a race in her honor, and it was lovely, <laughs> and it was put in in the New York Times. Post, post, <laughs> post. <laughs> um, when you're preparing for a race, I guess, or when you're preparing not only for like the the race itself, but for like the day in which you have to race. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What's like? What is the ritual? Oh, there's a whole there's a whole two day stretch of okay. rituals. Give me the ritual. The, okay, it's two days before because the night before the night before a race is the most important for getting good sleep. So I always go to bed pretty early that night. Try to get at least nine and a half hours of sleep, um, and then. The next day, you have to hydrate really well and watch, you know, make sure you're getting, you're eating good food and giving yourself good energy supply. And then, um... Wait, so let me just be clear. So, if your race is on a Wednesday afternoon... You start you Monday night, Monday night you, you get, get really good sleep. sleep. Okay. Tuesday, you hydrate, you eat really well. Obviously, Tuesday night, you try to get good sleep, but sometimes, you know, nerves and what have you, it's a little bit difficult. Um, okay. So you get you sleep as well as you can, and then the morning of, it's a whole big routine that starts with coffee, um, because Black. I have an, <laughs> I have a caffeine problem, and so I have a very strict, scheduled regimen for my coffee intake, which starts right when I wake up, and then um, a few hours later I have another one, and then I always have a triple shot of espresso, five minutes before I begin my warm up for a race. And the warm-up begins an hour before. So about an hour before I race, I'm having a triple shot of espresso, which is, you know, my rocket fuel. Wow. It really just charges me up. Oh my God. And do you have <laughs> someone bring that to you? No, I get it all myself. Get I get it all myself. I bring it, I bring the, tri- the triple shot with me to the track because Got it. you can't run off to, uh, you know, Starbucks or whatever. Sure. Okay, gotcha. Okay, continue. Oh, I love this. Yeah, well, that's, that's it. That's basically the regimen. I mean... Okay, but you listen to jams, and yeah, you, yeah, yeah. like, run up and down the stairs a lot. I don't really run up and down the stairs. Stairs make me really tired, so I try to avoid them, actually. Oh, wait, don't, or don't you sit on the stairs? I stretch. Um, I don't really do much Okay, well, I saw... Okay, whatever. I saw you once on the stairs listening to music and, like, getting in the zone. Okay, I do listen to music, yeah. What is the song that is your power song? It depends on the season. It sort of changes because you can overuse certain songs, and then if I if you hear them too much, they sort of lose their, their zapping power. Mm-hmm. So this most recent season, it was um, You Know by Flume featuring Alan Kingdom. Kingdom? I don't know it, um, but I like Flume. It's, yeah, all, all the music I listen to has to have the right combination of anger and attitude. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've figured out those are the key ingredients. That's fabulous. I love that. And you listen to that um, weekend song for a long time. Exactly. That's the anger. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the anger comes in. <laughs> Was there ever a moment when you were like, uh, when you had to either stop a race in the middle or you were just like, you felt so defeated and you were like, oh, I don't know if this is for me anymore. Definitely have stopped a race in the middle for those reasons, as much as I hate to admit that. Um, It's just, it's a really, really, really tough sport mentally. Um, And I think 
maybe part of the reason I struggled with, you know, having to drop out or not having to, but allowing myself to drop out in the middle of a race is partly the nature of the event I run um, because it's the eight, you know, the 800 is fast enough that it's painful the entire way, but it's long enough that you really feel like you're gonna die by the end. <laughs> wow. So it's sort of like the worst of both worlds for speed and endurance events. They sort of come together in a collision of pain. So um, I think uh, I would argue that the 800 is maybe the hardest race to sustain like positive mentality throughout. So, Do you yeah. say things to yourself during a race? Yeah, I try to. It's really hard to push away the negativity, I gotta say. But... So it's mostly, so you have a lot of negativity that goes on even totally. during the I think two anyone you're racing. Anyone who races has negative thoughts, and the important thing is to learn to acknowledge them because they're inevitable, and then put them aside. It's very mindful of you. Yeah. Do, do you like to be on the inside of the track or the outside? Um, I like to be the back of the pack, the racing pack. Right. And then... Because you like to get that, your, like, kick because, at the end. Because, I mean, you get... You, you race further, technically, than everyone else if you're on the outside. So right. you don't want to be out there, but you don't want to lead. At least I don't want to lead because you bear the brunt of the wind. You have everyone chomping at the bit behind you. It's just... I don't know why anyone would do that to themselves. So... Do you get to choose that? Well, I mean, yeah, technically. You could go out really fast and try to take the lead and set the pace, but... It's really not my style, so. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying, okay, okay, okay. So you know, there's you always start a leader the race, to a race. Going, okay. Yeah. And you like to be in the back, right? Because yeah. you like to have, to have that technique where you're racing, and then you, at the very end, you split and head for right the first person. Uh, well, you yeah. win. <laughs> I mean, ideally. <laughs> um, I've seen it in action, and it's <laughs> quite fabulous. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that makes sense. Obviously, you ran in high school and mm-hmm. in middle school, too. Yeah. But now you're on an elite college team at Princeton <laughs> University. <laughs> um, how is that different from being in high school? And, like, how have you found your teammates to be different? How have you found your coaches to be different? How are you different as a teammate as opposed to an individual participant in this sport? It's a lot easier to be motivated, I'd say. Well, it's sort of complicated because I think my personality is the type that works very well with being the underdog um, because there's less pressure. It's, it seems to be lower stakes, even if you know you're secretly putting a lot of pressure on yourself to do well. There's less external pressure um, if you're the underdog. And so in high school, um, it was. You know, I went to a small all-girls school that had an eight-person track team that was really, I mean, frankly, just bad. Very bad. (laughs) And so it was just a bad program. We didn't have great coaching. I mean, I had a great coach in SID, um, but the program itself, you know, it wasn't particularly rigorous. the coaches were more focused on keeping people on track and concentrated in practice than actually achieving much because that was, you know, the greater feat. I don't think there was really enough talent to, you know, go to good meets and try to really accomplish something in the sport. So um, I had to sort of make my own way and really push my coaches to bring me to meets that they would not otherwise have signed up for. Um, 
so I had to do a lot of research on my own for you know what those good meets were, who the good runners were, who I wanted to be racing against um, in order to get better, which wasn't, I mean, it wasn't fun, and it was really hard most of the time. Um, and on top of that, I did most of my training um, with the team, but I had to do all my runs by myself and sort of... A lot of the training, even though it was alongside team members, I had to do my own thing because, you know, it was just You're a home. matter of different levels. And yeah. I'm going to college. Part of the reason I chose chose the team I did was because I was tired of being, you know, building, helping to build a program was a good experience and I was really thankful for it in the end, but I was sort of tired of, of being the building block and I wanted to be a part of something that was already established. Um, so I found a great coach in Peter. I found an amazing team filled with incredible talent. Um, and I've been so thankful for that. And it's made such a big difference in training and racing. And Yeah, that is very true. You just feel less an anomaly. It's like, I mean, yeah. not to, you know, sound, not that I'm an anomaly, but like... It yeah, just, I mean, you're a big fish uh, in a small pond. Right, so a high-stakes you know, race. Like, track. going to nationals when I was in high school... A high stakes race when you're coming from a program that's basically nothing is a, a huge jump to that to the rest of the competition that you're running against yeah but then if you're at a, a pretty well established talented program already and you're going to a high stakes meet it just seems like you know it's it's less of a big deal it's just like another meet mm-hmm. was it like really hard to transition into a team that's so um, rigorous and there are so many kids that are so competitive because they're just so good. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought I was really like, recruited by accident the first week I was there. I was like, oh, wow, wow, I'm no match for any of these people. He definitely thought I was someone that I'm not and I'm going to die. Oh, that's so interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Who's like your inspiration in this sport? Do you have someone that you look up to that you're like, oh, I want my career in running to be like hers or his um, or whatever. I mean, I think everyone has like their long shot role model dream types. So I've always looked at Jenny Simpson, 1500 meter runner, as someone to model, um, partly because she's so gracious in all of her post-race interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think humility is something that's really integral to racing and a lot of people lose track of. Um, so... Yeah, but I, by no means am I saying I'm going to be an Olympic runner. I just right really look up to her. Well, you never know. <laughs> um, do you watch your own races? Like, do you watch your races back? No. I've only done that once because my coach this year asked me to, and I didn't like it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, especially when it's not a great race. It's, it always looks far easier than it feels in the moment. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's like, yeah. why aren't you running faster? Like, mush, mush. But in the moment, you're like, oh my god, I'm going to fall over. I'm going to die. Wow, you only watched one? Yeah. I guess two. There was one in high school that I watched. But I definitely don't watch them regularly. Hmm. Does anybody on your team watch them as, like, a thing that they do? No one who runs longer events. I'd say people, maybe sprinters or, you know, jumpers or field eventers, right, where it's more of a technical, like, you know, immediate launch. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so we should, let's transition into the other side of you. (laughs) 
I've always known you to be a very eloquent writer and a great photographer. When did you start writing? When did you start photography? And you were into ceramics for a little bit, weren't no. you? <laughs> Definitely not. Wait, you didn't take ceramics with me? I did because I had to. I didn't okay. take it because I wanted to. <laughs> um, but mostly photography. Yeah. And writing. Yeah. When did that start? Writing really started... Mm, I guess like, you know, 13, 14 the same time um, as running yeah I think that was really the age I started coming into myself as a person so I guess it makes sense that I was developing both sides at the same time they've always been sort of related um, mm-hmm. because I think for writing at least um, the things you're drawn anyone's drawn to write about are things that take that you take notice of as you go about your daily business um, or things you know from me at least or what used to be things that struck me as so like rare or powerful that they were worthy of writing down or you know deciphering in a different through a different means so running sort of fueled that I guess now that I'm thinking about it because it was sort of a profound act and then I turned it into writing sometimes mm-hmm and photography, were you always into film photography or did no. you start with digital photography? I started with digital um, and then I got really into film like in high school sort of with black and white especially because of I saw I saw um, an exhibit at I think it was at MoMA of Bill Brandt's it was a light and shadow exhibit of Bill Brandt's work and it really really inspired me so that was when I started black and white film and then I pursued that Um, until this year I took a class at at college in black and white film and then um, sort of branched out into color too because I it's just sort of more accessible I guess or more applicable to a wider range of things who besides him who would you say that you like whose artwork do you really love or whose writing do you love what writers do I love slash books Juno Diaz Um, you loved um (laughs) <laughs> what? As I lay dying. I did. Yeah. Favorite authors include Juno Diaz, um, William Faulkner, and um, Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. um, Virginia Woolf. Do you I would think say are that, like the core four. Do you think that you have a writing style that's similar to somebody that you either um, knew, like, read as a kid or, you know, read now still or... I guess it depends what type of thing I'm writing. Like poetry, I would go for... I feel like it's sort of similar to E.E. E. Cummings mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, I would that, say that, like, too. In that piece together informal style. Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved his stuff. Um, and then prose. Um, Probably since I started writing more prose around the time I was reading Juno Diaz for the first time, it's a little bit of the Juno Diaz conversational tone with um, some of, like, Toni Morrison's imagery. Hmm. I don't know. I can't really call myself... Toni Morrison. I can't compare myself to either of those Titanic stars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is there 
somebody's work that you've grown to like more as you've gotten older because you understand their artwork or their writing yes. more? Um, Toni Morrison, for sure. Zora Neale Hurston. I've read, I've read uh, Their Eyes Were Watching <laughs> God twice. God. Once when we were in 10th grade in high school and once last year for a class, um, for an English class at college. And um, I had totally different reactions to it. Really? Yeah, I mean, I loved I it both that. times, but, like, I just understood it on a way different level. Huh. Um, the second time I read it, it was just, yeah. Wow. I it, love it that. It became even more amazing to me, even though I loved it the first time. Do you think that your writing style has changed as you've got? I mean, obviously, it's gotten more mature as you've gotten older, but... Yeah. Um, well... Do you write about different things than you wrote about before? Yeah, I think you always are writing somewhat based in your own experiences and so it's only natural that as you grow older you have a wider base to draw from but I definitely have become more conservative with the writing um, as I got older and I think part of that is just because I hit a serious like creative block when I went to college hmm. which is probably a testament to how a dog has a light up collar <laughs> 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 That's so cute. Oh, I want one for my that dog. That is really cute. That's smart. Aww. That is smart. You can see it so far yeah. away. Okay, so what were we talking about? Um, what was the question? I don't remember. Oh, wait. I was saying that I Has your writing stopped writing. Changed? Oh, you had a creative block. Yeah, because it's such a testament to how based in risk-taking writing is. Um, as soon as I got to college and I was sort of in a new environment and I was... A little it was much more reserved suddenly because you know I was much more alone I had to make friends and I had to you know adapt myself and my lifestyle to living by myself taking care of myself you know being in a whole group of new people being in a much more academically challenging environment um, that I sort of like clammed up you know <laughs> um, but it's, it's been coming back slowly do you have like a favorite thing to take photos of or person, place. I really love portraits, especially if, if we're talking black and white. I just think the face is so expressive, even when it's, even when the person is expressionless. Mm -hmm. You know, you can capture so much in the eyes or, um, and then if you add the way light falls on a face or, you know, on a body to that. Right. It's just, there's so many different ways you can angle a mood. The photo that I always think of, I mean, I don't always think of it. When I think of you, I, and you as a photographer, I think of it. It's the photo of Sam, mm -hmm. who's Anna's beau. <laughs> Anna's boyfriend. Sam, it's like his neck. It's his clavicle. <laughs> his clavicle. Did, yeah. Was that spur of the moment? Did he yeah. pose for that photo? He did not pose because he's a and she doesn't <laughs> pose for me ever. Um, it's very difficult, so I had to make my own way. But basically, I made a deal with him that if he modeled for me, I would not show his face. And so um, I ended up getting something, I think, far better than... It would have been just a, a normal portrait. Um, mm -hmm. Not that his face isn't great, but yeah. um, it's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, there, um, something I was interested in while I was 
taking film for that project was the sort of intimacy of a body without knowing who it is or where it is and just um, capturing it in different kinds of lighting. Um, yeah, it was just sort of a study on the body. Would you rather take, like, do you think that, I mean, obviously the photos that maybe, well, maybe they don't mean more to you. Do photos mean more to you, I guess, when they're taken of people that you know or just things that you saw or people that you saw on the street, whether they're strangers or... Are these my own photos or someone else's photos? Your own photos. Well, I think to me, they probably mean something very different when they're of people that I know. Right. Um, but if they're, if, I, if I'm looking at someone else's photos, maybe someone that I know, and some of the pictures are of people that I know, and some of them are pe- of people that I don't know, um, I actually pref- tend to prefer, prefer the ones of people that I don't know because there's more space for, you know, my own interpretation, and I get less distracted by you know, a familiar mannerism or a familiar expression that I see in someone that I know. Hmm. You can sort of make your own story in your head. Right. Is writing and photography, is that like a, is that a cathartic experience for you or is it just something that you do for fun, for creativity? Why do you do these things? Definitely cathartic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. As much as I hate to admit this, I'm, I never do anything in my life. I'm sort of a, an, an action minimalist, I would say, <laughs> which is my really nice way of calling myself a lazy shit. Um, so I never do anything unless I feel like it is, like some, something about my life hinges on it. And so it's definitely, um, you know, channel some kind of trigger of emotion or some need to like release um, a certain urge or, hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it. Right, because running is obviously cathartic in a yeah. way as well. Yeah. Gotcha. How do you know when a piece of writing or a photo is... Finished? Yeah, finished or, you know, really great or is in the place that you want it to be, I guess. I have a really hard time figuring out when a piece of writing is finished, more so than a photo. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, um, a photo is a photo. I mean, unless you're with, whatever. With black and white film, it's less, you know, a photo is a photo. Um, because, because of how you bright can or change dark it the is. Light. Okay, yeah. yeah, you can change it completely um, within a few seconds of exposure. So, um, but I have a better idea, and when I get started with it, um, of what I want to want it to look like when it's finished. So when I reach that. I know, mm-hmm. but with writing, it's much more open-ended, and it's sort of, you write as you go. Right. Um, at least I do. So, um, yeah, I, I, and as you go, your opinion of what it is changes, so it's it's much harder to, like, you know, get your finger on what it is you're, you're trying to come out with in the end. Got it. Okay, so your life as an athlete is very structured and goal-oriented and routine oriented and then obviously you have this other side of you that is very fluid because you're a creative being and you're writing on the go and taking photos on the go (laughs) or whatever do you notice that you have this like balance in your life was it something that you like can you really not have one without the other can you not really be an athlete and be in this kind of goal oriented really intense sport without having this um, other outlet of creativity I think people could I don't think I could 
mm-hmm. um, just because I I'm very attuned to my own brain and my I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty emotional sensitive person and so um, you know for better or for worse um, so whenever one side of my personality is dominating the another I'm very aware of it and it sort of ends up dominating my thoughts and so I always need something that seems to counterbalance it in order to make myself feel more in control more sane and less dominated by my emotions and my you know pulls um and so it just happens that I am drawn to and you know have some level of talent or experience in two areas that feel like a right balance of open-ended creativity and you know rigorous discipline um and (laughs) some kind of like horrible athletic masochism (laughs) um but uh, I mean they're opposites in that respect but they work really well together for me because there's something very very artistic and poetic about running Mm -hmm. and that's that's what has drawn to me drawn me um to running from the very beginning so they're opposites yet they go hand in hand Love it. Um, okay, I have some fun questions now. I mean, I don't know how much more fun they are than the questions <laughs> that I already asked you. But <clears throat> um, who should everybody be following on Instagram right now? Me. <laughs> At Anna Giroux. Get that Wait, Anna dot Giroux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's real talk. Real talk. Real talk is hush pup underscore. Oh, hush pup underscore. Yeah. That's what everyone should be following. Everyone That's should be not following a joke. That. You don't have any other Instagram? No. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, so she's plugging her own Instagram account. Go follow her. Um, if you could time travel to a different period, a different time period, uh, which would it be? Wait, more importantly, have you seen Black Mirror? Yes. Well, not all of it, some of it. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's really. I mean, I would never go to the future. It's pretty scary. It's so frightening. I would never go to the future. Um, Okay, so continue. Sorry. I I think... Okay, this sounds kind of bad initially, but, like, I would go to the Vietnam War era. Okay. A, I'm a girl, so I wouldn't be drafted. True. I mean, I would really not... The part I would not enjoy about that would be, you know, seeing my male friends and family members possibly get drafted. Mm -hmm. Um, That would not be great, but... um, I've always been interested in it because it's it was such a golden age of college campus pushback and protest and you know a new age of thought um, and I've always thought it would be really interesting to like be right in the thick of that and be my age then and be you know in with the tide interesting yeah um what's your favorite restaurant in New York City ooh great question Raoul's probably Where is in, um, in Soho on I'm blanking now on the street wait I've never been there we should go it's incredible Why I went you recently taking me there I what kind of forgot about it? it for a while and then I went recently and I was like wow holy shit this is probably the best thing I've ever had what kind of food it's French it's just oh. a great small French bistro um, that's been around for a really long time um, it has this tiny, tiny spiral staircase that you have to walk up to get to the bathroom, which is not pretty because, one, if you're wearing a skirt, hard oh, to handle. Brutal. Two, if you've had a few drinks, 
very dangerous. <laughs> um, but when you get to the top, not only is there a restroom, but there's a psychic. Have you been? No. Oh. I'm kind of scared of psychics. Oh, okay. How do you like your burger cooked? <laughs> Medium rare. A little on the rare side, though. Okay. Do you like it with bun or without? With. Okay. What is your favorite thing to do in Princeton? Not at Princeton. In Princeton. In the town. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Not much to do there. <laughs> <laughs> really not much to do there, but, um, well, for one, there's my favorite coffee shop, Rojo's, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, it's the best. Um, and then there's this park that's, it's like this nature preserve um, that's not far outside. It's not really in the town, but it's not far beyond it. Um, it's called uh, Mercer Meadows, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful going for a walk, going for a run, whatever you want. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, lastly. Yes? Okay, would you say that um, this is your first time being in love with somebody? Yes. What is it like? Like, can you describe it? Like, what the feeling is? Um, like, did you ever think about how you would be the first time that you fell in love? And is well, that I different think, than how I you actually are? everyone thinks this way. I think certainly a lot of girls think this way you know sort of imagine what you're gonna be like when you you know fall in love when you have a boyfriend when you get married you know whatever mm-hmm. um, and I have to say it's a lot I think I'm, I'm always someone who I'm not um, immune to cliches but I always do my best to maintain some usually pretty high level of control over what I do, how I feel. You know, I think I exercise that, probably not a very good thing, but I exercise that in a lot of, um, in some of my friendships, not ours necessarily, but, you know, with other people, if I feel like it's not going a good direction, I shut it down immediately so that I don't have to deal with any kind of emotional fallout. Sure. And it's just a clean break. Like, I decided it, not humiliating. (laughs) I just, you know, over and out. Um, And so, there's, you always hear about the cliche of, like, love being really scary. And I always chalked that up to just a cliche. but there is definitely a lot of truth in it, and I hate hearing myself say that because it's so cliche, but... No, um, it's lovely. <laughs> it's just, it's like this beautiful combination of feeling indefinitely magnetic with someone, like not wanting to, never not wanting to be with someone, mm-hmm. um, and also being pretty frightened because you know, you're so, um, given into your own emotions and a lot of that is controlled by them. I mean, not actually controlled by them. You control yourself always, but, um, it seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. What a lovely (laughs) sentiment. (laughs) Um, well, thanks for being on my podcast. Yeah. Am I a good interviewer? Yeah. I think so too. Good questions. Thank you. (laughs) Um, have a great night. <laughs> <laughs> You're truly one of the hard work, most hardworking people that I know. I have to give a closer. Okay. Uh, um, 
<laughs> you're a champ in all aspects of your life. <laughs> I truly look up to you. No, I'm actually I serious. I truly look up to you. I'm very inspired by you. Well, I think that's what is so great about our friendship is that we have mutual inspiration. We do. Yeah. Because every time I see you run, I'm like, ah, I could be on Broadway. <laughs> exactly. Every time I see you see, I'm like, I mean, sing. Oh, I see you sing. I'm like, wow, I could break two minutes in the 800. <laughs> um, yeah, it's lovely. We have a lovely friendship. <laughs> I'm very, very honored that you were the first person to be on my podcast. <laughs> Yay, mutual claps for everybody. Um, okay, it's dark out. So maybe yep. we should go. The crickets are Soon. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cicadas. The mosquitoes are also out. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> good night and good luck, everyone. This has been a fabulous evening with Allegra Levy and Anna Giroux for the Scout Archives. <laughs> See you next time. And that was my first interview for the Scout Archives, which is so exciting. This project has been in the works for quite a long time and to see that it's now finally coming to fruition is so, so cool. I can't even tell you how cool it is. So I wanna thank Anna Giroux for lending her time to speak to me about her life and her struggles and her stories, victories. And I also wanna thank whoever's listening out there for being interested in my project and for being interested in people's stories. And I promise that there is so much more where that came from. So thanks so much for listening and I'll see you guys next time.